Yesterday we had uh, presbytery in this room. Presbytery is when the uh, pastors and elders of a given geographical area. We are the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. Runs from just above Knoxville somewhere down to North Georgia in this long, thin Tennessee Valley strip. So we had 80, 85 elders and pastors here yesterday doing their quarterly business kind of thing. And uh, I wanted to say a word of thanks to a few folks because Sharon Sessoms stepped up, took lead, but Keith and Pat Palm and uh, Mark and Jennifer Bennett and several of the elders and uh, staff who really stepped up and I uh, really appreciate, I guess I just want to say I really appreciate your work and your help to, to make that go very well, to uh, host really all the churches of our presbytery here in our home. Uh, this morning we are in John chapter 15. I said as we talked last week about Jesus being the vine and us the branches and, and what it means to abide in him and we looked at, at some of what that means and I said over the coming weeks we'll look a little bit more at what does it mean then and how do we abide in Christ. One of the chief ways and first ways is to abide in his love, to live out of his love for us and so I want to talk about that this morning and look at that. We're going to I'm going to read John 15, verses 1 to 4, and then skip over and do 9 to 12, which is where we'll be this morning. Hear then the word of God from John 15, starting in verse 1. I am, Jesus says, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning. And the truth is, we have come because you have first loved us. And so we love you too, Father. We respond in love. And we know that you have begun a good work in us, that you are carrying on to completion. And so we respond and work out our salvation, knowing that you are at work within us. And in all of these things, Father, you love us. And yet there are so many times we struggle to believe it. So many times to really live out of the truth and the power of it. Oh, would you speak to us afresh this morning that indeed your love would be the source of our life. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is the last night on earth and Jesus gives his disciples this metaphor that we looked at last time. A, a metaphor that really is crucial to understanding, I think, the Christian life and what it means and how it is that we live the Christian life. And so Jesus here at this crucial moment wants to give them an, an image in their heads to understand what it means for you to be a Christian 
is to be a branch and for him to be the vine and how this works. And so much so that apart from him, he tells us we can do nothing. Apart from him, there is no fruit of the Spirit. Apart from Him, there is no Christ-likeness. Apart from Him, there is no spiritual fruit. But He says, if you abide in Me, then you, you will bear much fruit. If you abide in Me, there will be glory to the Father, and you will prove your discipleship, and that you will be a fruitful, obedient child of the living God. So He says, abide in Me. Cling to Me. Remain in Me. Like a Like a branch abides in the vine, clings to the vine, lives out of the life of the vine. So, he says, you should abide in me. But as I said, even yesterday I was having this conversation with another pastor. And as I brought it up, and he said, well, what does it mean? How do we do that? How do we abide in Jesus? Fortunately, I've been meditating on these things. And I've got some, some ideas about that. But that is really the question. How do we do that? If this is crucial to the Christian life, and in some ways, if this is actually the way the Christian life is done, you know, the way that we actually live it and succeed in it, how do we do it? What does it mean? And we really do need to figure this out. And fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He does give us quite a bit of information and understanding, not only here in, in, his, in this section, but in the fullness of the Gospels and of the Scriptures that He's given us. But He tells us exactly where to start. And I think it's important to start where Jesus starts. And I think it's important to get the first things first. Because foundations have to be laid before you can build on them. And I think the foundation, Jesus leaves no question, no uh, you know, equivocation when it comes down to it. Of what in fact is the foundation as we seek to abide in Christ and to build a Christian life out of Him. And He says to start here, verse 9, as He says... All that he has said about abiding in him. And he says, okay, then as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Start with my love. Now, why do we need to do that? Why do we start here? And the truth is, we start here because you cannot live the Christian life if you are not confident that Jesus loves you. We need to know that. And and it's something that you will experience and that you will actually come to know by experience how hard it is to try to live the Christian life, to be obedient, to obey His commands, to do what God tells us to do and to try to be that person to do all that if you're not confident at any given moment whether God loves you and accepts you and is on your side and is for you. It's impossible to live the Christian life. Unless you are confident of Jesus' love. We are weak and frail. Right? And the Christian life can be hard. It's, a, it's often a struggle. We often slog along and we stumble and we fail and we reach out and we repent and we renew and we recommit ourselves and we struggle some more and there is difficulty and circumstances conspire against us. Sometimes we are crushed and we are broken and relationships are difficult and we get confused. Our love is fluctuating and it's weak and it's often unreliable. And if we focus there, if we focus on our ability to love Him, our ability to be stable and to be strong and for our ability to do all those things, and our Christian life really will be miserable at times. 
because we will be disheartened. The outline is sort of right in your bulletin today. This is a, so I'm going to start referring to it. And is you know this was this because of Presbytery. It was kind of a strange week, and I had you know anyway the stuff in there. It's about half right. So uh, I, I will refer to some stuff in there. But Marshall's in there under the first point. I think Walter Marshall says says it this way. He says you cannot love God if you're under the continual secret suspicion that He's really your enemy. Right? You cannot love God if you secretly think that He condemns and He hates you. You. You know, you cannot respond in love to God that is in a life of obedience and fruitfulness and responsiveness to Him if, if secretly you think He's not pleased with you, if secretly you think that He somehow isn't accepting you, you know, isn't embracing you as His child. Fear and suspicion will rob us of heart. It robs us of strength. It robs us of our ability to live the life that God is calling us to live. It is confident love that is empowering, that is motivating, that brings us forward. Like a child who knows that he is loved. A child that lives in a family that he, where he knows that he is loved. And you have a child then who is secure, a child who is confident, a child in so many ways who is free. Free to enjoy his life, free to be a child, free, free to live underneath his parents. There is a security, there is a confidence when we know that we are loved. And so we need to know that our Savior unconditionally loves us, that He is for us, and that He is on our side, especially when we struggle. Because sometimes when we struggle struggle or stumble or fall, those are the times that we, that we back off, that we seclude ourselves, that we, you know, that we, that we, somehow move away, sometimes from other, not just God, but even from other Christians and even from the church, you know, we, when we stumble and we struggle in these things, and it's especially in those moments that we need to be confident of His love, to be confident that He's on our side. So how does Jesus seek to communicate this unconditional love to us, to help us to understand it? As you go to live this life, you must live it you know, saturated with and just wallowing in this understanding that I have loved you. And where does he go? And it's interesting. And tell me, as you look at the text, how does Jesus seek to communicate the magnitude of his love for us? Because it's a truly startling statement. And if it doesn't startle you, I hope this morning I'll back you up, help you look at it afresh for a moment and be startled by it. Because what Jesus says is astounding. He says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you, you get it? You stand back and hear what Jesus is saying to you, to his disciples, if you are a follower of Jesus. Is it, it, it should stand there almost to say, surely he can't mean what I think he means. You know, surely he can't mean that it's like that. That as the Father, as God the Father has loved God the Son, so God the Son loves His disciples, His people. To abide, we need to understand how much and how well God loves His people. 
what measure, what category can he give? What comparison can he bring, you know, to, to bring home the, the magnitude and the strength of what he wants us to understand as we enter into this Christian life, this following of Christ? He doesn't use a husband's love. He doesn't say it's not like a husband's love or a wife's love. It's not like that kind. Of, it's not like a parent's love. He doesn't go, that's a powerful love. That's that's an impressive love. It's an instinctual love. Sometimes, you know, don't mess with mama bear. You know, there's, he, she doesn't, he doesn't go to a parent's love. He doesn't go to young love, all starry-eyed and crazy and, you know. There are places he could go. What category, what measure does he give? He says, don't look around you for your, your measure. If you want to understand how it is, I'm loving you. Don't look, don't look at each other. As God the Father has loved God the Son in the mystery of the Trinity who is God from all eternity and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God who is love in His very essence, in His very nature, you know, the one who is loved and, and, and under whom all other love gets its name and its, and its little tiny reflection of what it is as the Father, as the Father loves the Son. Can you put that into words? What must that be like? This eternal <laughs> love within the Godhead. Divine love. You catch his tiniest glimpse as the heavens are opened and Jesus is baptized. Matthew chapter 3, I think this did make it somewhere. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In another text it says, with whom my soul is well pleased. Right? Do you see the heavens open? Have you seen the heavens open above you? Have you heard God speak this over you? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom my soul is well pleased. This is the love the Savior has for you. And he says, abide in my love. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you in this love. And he says, abide in my love for you, which is like this divine, eternal love. Abide in this love. Camp here. You know, feed on this love. Like bask in this love. Grow strong here. Grow free here. Grow healthy here. Abide here. Take a few minutes. And walk with me as we seek to see, explore these dimensions just a little bit of what it means to abide in His love. I believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the faith to understand these things, and is, it comes by the hearing of God's Word. And it's by being in the Scripture and, and hearing the fullness. And we're just going to skip across a couple things. Because God is love and the Scripture is full of expressions of who He is and how He loves. But... First, we need to deal with verse 10, because he says, after he says, I love you like this and abide in my love. And so if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. And it sounds a little bit I, as I read this and I started reflecting on it. And the danger is that he first says, you know, that I love you like this, abide in my love. And then it almost sounds like if you keep my commandments, then I'll love you. Right. It can sound a little bit. Sound a lot of bit. I don't think that's what he is 
saying exactly, because I, I, I think very strongly there is a context in which that is true, but you always put that context in this bigger context of his love that we were just singing about a moment ago, the sovereign love of God, where, where in Scripture from beginning to end it is true over and over again that his love is not the result of our obedience, but our obedience is always the result of his love. It's always the order of things. As he, as he talks to Israel and why he loved them, why he chose them, why they are his people. Is it because you were great? Is it because you were a numerous people? Is it because you were a large people, a strong people? Is it because you were a great nation? Is it because, and he says, no. My love for you is what makes you what you are. My love for you makes you that special nation. It is my love for you that makes you what you are. Jesus says elsewhere, if you love me, you will obey me. And it sounds a little bit the same way. And you wrestle with that until you read elsewhere that he says, you love because he first loved you. So even when those statements come, there's always a prior love. There is always he first loved us. There is always this love of God that, that precedes and antedates anything that you've got going. Because he first loved us, we love and obey. And as we live in obedience, and then it is true, as we live in that obedience, we abide in his love. And it's the proof of our discipleship and a proof and an evidence of the love in which we already abide. His love is never the result of our obedience. And because of the cross and because of Christ, it's actually, it's actually true that he loves you as much right now as he could ever possibly love you. You ever dare to believe that? As the Father loves the Son. How does the Father love the Son? Perfectly, divinely, infinitely. He will not love you one iota more tomorrow than He loves you today. If you are in Christ and He loves you in Christ, it isn't a growing love, it isn't a diminishing love, it is a constant, unconditional, unfailing, steadfast, everlasting love. But Jesus does carefully exclude any understanding of salvation and grace and love and sovereignty that doesn't result in a growing life of godly obedience. It is the fruit and the evidence that we have been loved by God and that he has begun a good work in us. And that it is carrying on to completion by his grace and by his power and because he loves us. He doesn't leave us as he finds us. He prunes us and he disciplines us and he works in us and he causes us to thrive. So that if we think that we can abide in his love apart from fruitful obedience, Jesus says we are deceived. And so 1 John 1, 6, it's here in your bulletin, I think under the second point, it says if we, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness... We lie and we don't practice the truth. We don't even understand the truth because these things are not compatible. Right? The evidence of abiding with Jesus, of, of having fellowship with Jesus is fruitful obedience. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so we can't say we abide in him and then not bear much fruit. Fruitful obedience is the proof of his love. Having first loved us and apart from that love, we can do nothing. And so we must have a 
proper, full measure and understanding of that love. And he gave it to us there as he, as he puts it in the proper category and measure as the Father has loved the Son. But then that love is worked out practically. God so loved the world, the Son so loved us in that way, he, that he did stuff. You know, love causes you to rise up. And I hope that's where we go as this ends out, as we come back around to our abiding in His love and the effect that it should have in our life. Love is something that causes us to rise up. And I debated this. I, I wrote it out and I put it back in. It, it reminds me in some very refracted remote way of the time when Tom Cruise fell in love with Katie Holmes. Did you ever see, did you ever see the little clip when he was on a talk show? And he like jumps around, he jump, he's on this talk show on national television, he jumps up on the couch and he's like, I'm in love. You know, and he's doing this whole thing, and he, you know, he rises up in this, this expression. But I, you know, there's a silliness to that, but every, every bit, I think there is something in that love sets us on fire. I mean, we talk about the flame of love, you know, and, the, and it does, it sets us on fire, it, ri- it raises us up to to action, it raises us up to give and to do. It's often said that the cross is the measure of God's love for us, which is obviously true. But the measure of his love is, is, is greater and bigger than that, or maybe, maybe what we need to understand is that the gospel is bigger than that, and the cross spans time. And let me just touch a couple of passages, because the story of God's love for us spans time. Right? It catches us up into this love story that is an eternal love story and literally spans time. And so I wrote down a couple of verses out of Ephesians. And I just want to look at these because Ephesians, which is very doctrinal in the first three chapters. But in, it, it, it is a doctrine of God's love and God's grace. And to see just a little bit about this love story that is ours in Christ. There in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that he chose us. In Christ, in Him, before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for the adoption as sons and daughters. Right? You see this picture? He chose us in Him before. That is, that is, in love, He predestined. Those two things are parallel. Uh, parallel. In love, He predestined us. You know, before the foundations of the world, he, He chose us. You know, before there was a world. Before there was an earth, before there was anywhere for you to live, before there was a you to live on it, before anything had come into being, before God said, let there be light, he said, I love you. I mean, is that astounding, right? But that's what he is saying here. In love, before the foundation of the world, I had already set my love on you, chose you. To be holy, that is set apart and blameless, that is right before me. Adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. Before the world began, God loved you. And then he invades time and history with that love. His love rises up to to action and to giving and to sacrifice. His love He so loved the world that He gave His only Son to be born, that He Himself takes on flesh. So Ephesians chapter 2, 
He says, God being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us. What is the great love with which he loved us? And you might just, you know, you're tempted to just say, well, it was big. No, the great love, he told us about it already. Before time began, the Almighty conceived you, created you, planned your creation, knew you, loved you, chose you, appointed you to be holy and blameless, adopted with the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, he knew there would be a fall. He knew we would be who we would be. He knew we would be on the run from him, in rebellion from him. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. He saves us. He raises us to life. His love makes us what we are. Right? You don't see a love here responding. He loves us because we were obedient. He loves us so that we could become obedient. So that we could become children. Right? So Ephesians 5.25, what does it look like? It says, Christ loved the church. And so he gave himself up for her. Christ loved his church. That is you. He loved you. And so he gave himself up for you. And he planned to do it before the world began. In First Peter, it tells us that he was a lamb without blemish, appointed before the foundations of the world. To come and to bear your sin. He so loved his, you who would be his church. You who would be his body. You who would be his people and the sons and daughters of God. It says he loved you so he gave himself up for you on the cross. That he bore in his own body our sin. That we could be set free from it. Holy and blameless. And so Ephesians chapter 3 which is. Part I've got here is part of a larger prayer, and Paul is praying, and he's praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, so that being rooted and grounded in love, it sounds a lot like Jesus saying, abide in my love. Be rooted in it. Get grounded in it. Because if you're not rooted and grounded in it, this thing called the Christian life will be a burden to you. Right? It'll be, it'll be slogging it out day after day to try to be and to do what you're supposed to do. And it is no way to live any life. And he says you need to be rooted and grounded in love. And so he prays for them that they would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and depth of his love. A love that predates time. A love that invades history. A love that sacrifices itself. A love that does all that is necessary to win you and make you its own. As the Father has loved the Son, so the Son has poured himself out in love for you. And let me just say that it is a covenant love. Because part of us wants to say, okay, all of that, but how do I know for sure? How do I know? How can I be sure of this love? That he, how do I know that I won't lose it? How do I know that, you know, that it, 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 you know, in some slip-up, it's, it's going to be withdrawn from me? And the Scripture labors to help us not live in that place. Because as I think it's 1 John again. John says, perfect love casts out fear. It's like the child who lives in that security, in that place where he's free. 
And so it is a covenanted love. What do I mean by that? We're about to share the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that we're going to say as we quote Jesus, as we stand at this table, is he says that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, the relationship that he has with us is a covenantal relationship. And the Bible labors from the first pages to the last to help us understand covenants and that God deals with his people in terms of covenants. That he, that, he, that he makes formal relationships with us. And, you know, one of the only comparisons we have is that he's given us marriage. And it's one of the, you know, there are other, I guess, a few others that we enter into, but that is the primary one that we experience is, as a covenant, that we covenant with each other. And it is different. You know, today, the marriage covenant is out. I think the whole idea of covenant is lost. And so marriage is kind of a take it or leave it. And right now, really popular is living together. Living together is one of those things, again, you can take it or leave it. We'll live together. We kind of like this thing. I fell in love with you, but if I fall out of love with you, right, it's really uncomplicated. It's really uncomplicated. I can just walk away. I can put my few belongings in a box and walk away. That's living together. But marriage is a bit more complicated. And God wants it to be complicated. And he hates divorce. And so he covenants with us and he gives us this, this picture. This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And he confirms the great love with which he loved us from before the foundations of the world. They brought him to the cross to shed his blood was to make a cup to enter into a covenant that through faith we enter into a covenant with him. So in Romans chapter 8, and this is where Paul, I always, you always wonder, where does Paul get his confidence in Romans chapter 8 when he's singing about God's love and he sings about the security of it? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? You know, and he talks about every conceivable thing that could come into your life and mess it up, whether it's a sword, war, famine, poverty, you know, all kinds of whether it's the past, the present, the future, any time and place and thing that could come in. And he says, what can separate us? And he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors because he loved us. And there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Because he covenanted it to us and he sealed it with his own blood. He says, in faith, we enter into this covenant. And then he says, I will, he seals it with his own blood, the relationship, the great love with which he loves us. It is hard. I feel inadequate as, a, you know, you do this, you come to the scripture and there are so many passages. There's so much more there to labor, to try to help us understand what the scripture labors us to understand, which is the love of God for his people. You know, and I think as the Christian life and as he said that rooted and grounded in love, these things take place and we're to abide in his love as we seek to keep his commandments. That as we lose heart, and I see it all the time, I see it in myself, I struggle. You know, I've been in ministry for 20 some odd years, I've worked at various kinds of things, and you know, it is easy to lose heart, it's easy to get discouraged, it is easy to get burnt out, it is easy to back off and say, you know, it's easy to walk away, you know, there's a flight response a lot of times, I felt it throughout my life and career, you know, you just go, you know, because it's so easy to get... We just get to these places 
And I believe what saves us from all of that, what makes us steadfast, what makes us able to carry on, to, and not just carry on, but to thrive, to, to continue to love and to give when we feel like we haven't been loved well or we feel like it's been hard or we feel like we've been hurt, you know, our feelings have been hurt or we've gone through struggles or we begin to burn out or we've bumped into you and we, you know, and I believe that a lot of what happens in all of that is this, my friends, is that we lose sight of the love of God. Because it is that love that sets us on fire. But it is that you know, he says, let your light shine before the world, and so they'll see your good deeds. And so there's that obedience again in that life of godliness, that, you know, your good deeds before man. He says, let your light shine. But how does, how does that candle, I like to think of it as a torch, you know, in the darkness. Right, that torch, as it starts to go out, as it starts to sputter, as it starts to grow weak, as we become tired, as we become whatever it is, right, it, we have to get back to the bonfire. You know, because the thing is that we, we tend to think, you know, there's that passage in, in Revelation where he says, return to your first love. And, you know, the height from which you have fallen, return to your first love. And I think there's a couple ways to take that. And one of them is that we think that by some superhuman strength, we need to ignite our love. We need to ignite and make ourselves passionate in them. We need to, you know, to get back to it so that we can do those things that he wants us to do. And I think that misses the whole point. Jesus is our first love. We need to get back to the bonfire. Right? We need to take our torch and not sit in the dark and, and try to light it ourselves, but we need to draw near to the bonfire of Christ's love, the, the love with the great love with which he has loved us, as the Father has loved the Son, and let him set us ablaze again. Right? Let him set our torch on fire again so that we know what it is to be full. Right? And that's what he says from here. He says, these things, I'm telling you why. So that your joy, my joy, that I experience in the love of my Father, that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. And joy is strength and power and motive. People full of joy rise up and they give and they serve and they do and they are full of life. Paul says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? The life that I have, the Christian life that I live, the life, what I do, what I do. He says, what I do, I do because he loved me and he gave himself for me. I live out of this love. This is what it is. And so many of you, my friends, as we grow tired, as we start to get burnt out, what's the answer? Jesus says, abide in my love. Rooted and grounded in love. We study the dimensions of his love that are as high as heaven. As deep as the father loves the son. As long as eternity. As wide as his covenant. Has he spoken this love into your life lately? Have you heard God speak this love to your soul lately? Make you want to jump out of your pew and jump up on top of it and I'm not that, you, you know, so you can imagine Robert doing such a thing, right? But there, there's something to that. It causes us to jump out of our chair and say, this is where the Christian life is. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
when we're abiding in his love and when we live out of that love, the life that I now live, I live by faith because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Are you persuaded of the dimensions of his love? Because it is only this love that will rise up, that will serve, that will give, that will sacrifice, that will die, that will live in freedom and health and joy. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we need to be set alight with the flame of your love. We need for the bonfire of the love that is ours in Christ to to ignite our torches that we might go forth. That we might indeed be lights of the world. That we might indeed live for you, serving in the life of your church, serving in the life of your community, serving in our families, giving, (coughs) sacrificing, and loving, rising up. Raise us up by your grace. For your glory, we ask and pray in Jesus' name.